And so we're going to look at how God speaks to us. If you don't know the Bible, if you don't love the Bible, if you do not understand it and practice it and obey it, then I can tell you without apology this morning that you are not a victorious Christian. You cannot be a victorious Christian apart from the Word of God. Too many people today are looking for a shortcut to spiritual health. They're looking for a shortcut. They want to get around Bible study, get around the time it takes to get your Bible out and your other study books and really dig into the Word of God. So what we're going to talk about this morning is how to make the Bible come alive. How to make the Bible come alive. So knowledge we understand and we know. We've been taught this all our life. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, whether it is in the business world or in the athletic world or in theology, in the church world. As a Christian, knowledge is power. Now, if you have knowledge in good things, not only will you do good, but you will be a powerfully good person. The more you learn about the Word of God and the more you learn about the teachings of Jesus the more powerful you are going to be as a Christian. But did you know that the other side of that coin is true as well? Did you know that if you have knowledge in bad things, you'll not only do bad, but you will be a powerfully bad person? The great need of our day, the great need of our society, the great need of this world is truth. Truth. We need truth. And in this church, we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is truth. I read a prayer recently that was offered by a missionary, a national missionary. When we talk about a national missionary, what we mean by that is they are actually from the country where they are serving as a missionary. And this national missionary, it was in Kenya, and he got up and he prayed this prayer, and I stuck it in my message today. He prayed it a little bit different, so listen carefully. He said, Lord, from the cowardice that does not face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truth, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, he said, Lord, deliver me from that. Deliver me from the cowardice that causes me not to believe that God can always teach me something new and something fresh. You don't have to be afraid to get into the Bible, get into the Word of God. He said, deliver me from laziness so that I only understand half-truths. That's why so many people are confused today is because they don't spend enough time in the Word of God. He said, deliver me from arrogance, God. Uh, to, um, that causes me to be satisfied with just part of the truth. He said, deliver me from that. And that's my prayer today, that God would deliver us all from fear of the word, laziness toward the word, arrogance toward the word. It is the knowledge of truth that transforms a life. It is the knowledge of truth that transforms a life. I heard about a sign hanging in a business one time, and that sign said this. It said, we are not what we think we are, 
but what we think we are. We're not what we think we are, but whatever we're thinking, that's what we are. It says it in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, and, or it's chapter 23 and verse 7. Listen to this. Y'all know this verse. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I thought about that verse, and I thought about it when I was 16 years old. It's a wonder I didn't turn into a little girl. Because I was thinking about girls all the time. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Here's the point. If knowledge is power, if knowledge is power, then we need the knowledge of the Word of God if we want power in our life as a Christian. Isn't that right? So I want you to begin to think about that. How much do I know the Word of God? Do I love the Word of God? Is the Word of God precious to me? Am I trying to get around the Word of God? Am I trying to be a good Christian but leave the Word of God out of my life except for what pastor says on Sunday or what I might get on a Wednesday night? Is the Word of God precious to you? I'm going to challenge you with that throughout this message today. Here's what we need as Christians. We need to be, and you can jot this down if you want to, we need to be molded by the Word of God. We need to be molded. The Word of God needs to shape our lives. It needs to, I started to go like that. I better not go like that. But the, the Word of God needs to, it is Valentine's Day. Though. So it, the Word of God should mold us. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't let the world mold you. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does the renewing of our mind take place? By the Word of God. We need to be molded by the Bible. Number two, we need to be motivated by the Bible. Does the Bible fire you up? Does it motivate you? Does it get you excited? Have you ever been down and out and maybe you just saw a verse? Maybe somebody emailed you a verse or... Or you saw a verse in a book and, and all of a sudden it just spoke to you. It just ministered to you and motivated you. Find your motivation not in the things of the world, but find your motivation from the Word of God. And then we need to be managed by the Word of God. That the Word of God would guide us and lead us. Let the Word of God manage you, mold you, and motivate you. Even though we need that so desperately... It is a shame that for many of us right here this morning, the Bible remains a closed book. For many of us right here today, the Bible remains a mysterious and closed book in our life. I want to say to you, if you want to be a mature Christian, if you want to be a strong, healthy Christian, there is no cheap way to do that. There's no easy way, there's no lazy way, there is no magical way for you to become a powerful Christian. You have to have the Word of God in your life, you have to understand it. Now the Bible is not impossible to understand, and so we're going to look into Psalm 119 today. Now I told you the other um, week, actually last week, a little bit about Psalm 119. So we're going to really get into that chapter today quite a bit. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, I would advise you to use it. There are some Bibles in the chairs in front of you. We don't have many of those out there, but get that and uh, look along with us today. 
because I can't put all of the verses up on the screen because I have so many references, and I would encourage you that if you don't have time to look up every verse I give you, make sure you jot it down so you can look it up when you get home. In this message, we're going to look at the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It is also the longest chapter in the whole Bible. There's no chapter longer than Psalm 119. It has 176 verses in one chapter. And listen to this. We're not real sure who the author, who the exact author of Psalm 119 is. We know the Holy Spirit is the author, but we don't know who penned it. Not positive about that. But whoever the writer was, he is giving us facts about the Bible. He is giving us knowledge. He is giving us truth about the Word of God. Psalm 119, that whole chapter, is all about the Bible. Now, there are different words for the Bible. Word like statute, law, commandments. Every time he uses those words in Psalm 119, he is talking about the Bible that you and I hold so dear. So today and next weekend, I'm going to give you three things to do. And if you will do these three things, I promise you, it will make the Bible come alive in your life. So let's look at the first one. The first one is this. We must value the qualities of the Word of God. You must value the qualities of the Word of God. If you do not value the qualities of the Word of God, then the Word of God will never uh, be a transformational a force in your life. So I'm asking you, I want to I just throw out a lot of self-evaluation questions today. Do you value the qualities of of the Word of God. Do you value the qualities? You say, well, Pastor, what are the qualities? Well, let me give you three qualities of the Word of God that you need to value in these last days. Quality number one is that the Bible is a timeless book. It is timeless. The Bible is just as applicable today as it was back in the day when it was being written. The Word of God is relevant right now. It is relevant today. Now, you can go to a lot of churches, and uh, the way they deliver the Word and preach the Word and speak forth the Word, you would think that the Bible is not for today, but it is very, very relevant for our day. One of the core values of our church is that we, we want to make the Word of God relevant in your life. We want to preach sermons and we want to talk about things from the Bible that you can actually go out and incorporate into your lifestyle this afternoon. You can incorporate it into your lifestyle this week, this month, this year. We want to give you messages that let you know that the Bible speaks to your need. It speaks to your life. The Word of God is relevant. It is timeless. Let's look at verse 1 uh, or verse 89 of Psalm 119. Verse 89. It says, your word, O Lord, is eternal. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV and, and the KJV and the NLT. And the, so y'all just hang in there with me. Psalm 119.89, New International Version. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Listen to this. I love this. It stands firm. 
The Word of God stands firm in the heavens. That means God is saying to us, I have declared it. I have set it forth. I have placed it where I want it to be, and it shall not be moved. The Bible is not the book of the month. It's not the book of the year. Listen to me. It's the book of the ages. There is no book like the Bible. No book at all like the Bible. Listen, it breathes. It lives. You can read a passage in your Bible today, and it'll bless your soul. And you can come back to it a year later, and it'll bless your soul in a whole different way. A new way, a fresh way. The Bible is like no other book. Look in verse 152. Verse 152. Long ago, I learned from your statutes. That word statutes is talking about the Word of God. Long ago, I learned from your statutes that you, here it is, established them. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God has been established by the God of the Word. The Word of God is established And it is established to last how long? Forever. Forever. Now when the Bible says forever, what it really means is what? Excellent students. God is saying it is done. It is done. Let let me tell you something. Those uh, blank pages on the back of your Bible, uh, they're not for you to add your own stuff in there. The Bible is done. It is done. It is complete. It is settled in heaven. It has been established forever. Then we go down to verse 160. 160. The writer says, Lord, all. Now when the Bible says all, what does it really mean? Very good. All your words are what? True. And then it says again, and this is a superlative, a word like all and every and never. These are superlatives. All your righteous laws are eternal. That means they're timeless. Other books come and go, but the Bible is here to stay. The Bible's here to stay. I like what one writer said. Let me read to you what he said. He said, thousands of years has passed since the Bible was written. Empires have come and gone since the Bible was given to us. Civilizations have changed over and over. Science is pushing back the frontiers of knowledge. Emperors have decreed the extermination of the Bible. Atheists have laughed and railed against the Bible. Agnostics have cynically sneered and mocked at the Bible. Liberals have tried to move heaven and earth in an attempt to disprove the miracles of the Bible. Humanists completely ignore the Bible. Radicals and cults despise the Bible. Yet the Bible Bible stands and thrives today like no other book in history. Hey, one of the ways I know the Bible is the Word of God is it has stood up under such sorry preaching. Amen. Amen. I hear some sermons and I think, man, dude, get a Bible. Amen. You know, forget all the other study books and let's go. You remember uh, they say that uh, Vince Lombardi. Uh, was trying to develop the Green Bay Packers, and they went out and lost some game they should have won. And uh, he brought them all into the locker room, held up the football, and said, Gentlemen, this is a football. 
He's going to start with the basics. Some of us need to push everything else aside. And don't misunderstand me. I love all the study helps and the books and all the great CDs. But sometimes we just need to get our Bible and get alone with Jesus and get back to the basics of the Word of God. Dr. R.G. Lee, he's dead and gone now. I loved hearing him preach. Uh, He had a famous sermon called Payday Someday. And uh, I've heard the story about him and his wife were out on a vacation and everybody was hearing this sermon. It was going all over the world and uh, it was just such a famous message. If you ever get a copy of that message, a tape or CD of that message, hold on to it. It's one of the greatest sermons ever preached. Payday Someday and he and his wife were traveling through the mountains in the fall and they were looking at the leaves and it was a Sunday morning and they saw a little Baptist church and they pulled off in the parking lot and went in and sat down on the back row of that church and here's one of the greatest preachers in the world and he's sitting on the back row of this little Baptist church and some whippersnapper, young whippersnapper preacher's up there, you know, and he doesn't even know R.G. Lee's in the audience. And he preached R.G. Lee's sermon. He preached it, payday someday. They went out and got in the car, and he looked at his wife and said, Honey, what do you think about that boy preaching my sermon like that? She said, I I declare I believe he shoots your gun better than you do. (laughs) All right. So uh, like what Ed Young Jr. says, you got eyes, plagiarize. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Everything I preach other than that, y'all need to hold on to. All right. Dr. R.G. Lee said, All... Of its enemies, he's talking about the Bible now. Now He's old school, listen to this. All of its enemies have not tore one hole in its holy vesture, nor stolen one flower from its beautiful garden, nor diluted one drop of honey from its abundant hive, nor broken one string from its thousand-stringed harp, nor drowned one sweet word in infidel ink. Talking about the power, the awesomeness of the word of God. 1 Peter 1.25 says, But the word of the Lord will last forever. You say, well, I've got my own thoughts. Well, you may have your own thoughts, but I choose this morning to plant my feet on something that's going to last forever. The word of the Lord will last forever. And that word is the good news. It's not bad news, it's good news. If your marriage is breaking up, I've got good news. If you're addicted to something, I've got good news for you. If you're depressed, I've got good news for you. This Bible is good news, good news that was preached to you, Peter says. Number two, not only is it a timeless book, but it's truthful. You believe the Bible's true? It's truthful. Psalm 119, 142 says, Your righteousness is as an everlasting righteousness. Listen to this. And your law, that is the word of God, your law is what? Truth. It's truth. Verse 151. You are near, O Lord. I love this right here. You are near, O Lord, nearer to me than my foes. Mm. You ever felt like the foes were nearer than God? Will you just claim this promise right now and say, no matter how I feel or no matter what circumstances around me look like, God is always nearer than my foes. That is, if you're a believer, if you've received him. He goes on in Psalm 119, 151 to say, and all 
Your commandments are truth. Psalm 119, 160. He says, God, all you say can be trusted. All that God says. How much? All that God says can be trusted. He says, Lord, your teachings are true and will last forever. Y'all remember Pilate in the Bible? Pilate had a lot of questions for Jesus. Pilate was an arrogant man. Now, in the beginning of Jesus' confrontation with, uh, uh, or Pilate's confrontation with Jesus, Pilate was humble. Pilate wanted to know. He was really sincerely asking, who are you? And, and men say that you are uh, a king. Are you a king? And, and Pilate really wanted to know. And, and when he really wanted to know, Jesus was answering him. Later, Pilate became very arrogant. And he looked at Jesus and said, do you know who I am? You can just see the buttons popping off his chest. Do you know who I am? And went, listen to this. Listen now. When Pilate got proud and arrogant, the Bible says Jesus opened not his mouth a word. That says something to us right here today. When Pilate was humble and sincere and wanted to know, Jesus said, here's what Jesus said to Pilate. He said, any man who really wants to know the truth, he said, I will manifest myself to him. But sometimes we're, we're arrogant, we're prideful. And when we're arrogant and prideful, we, we cause God to just stop speaking, to just stop ministering in our life. So on one occasion when he was talking to Jesus, Pilate said, what is true? I can just see him. You know, you, you hear skeptics today. They'll say, well, really, I mean, you know, really, what is truth? What, can anybody really say what truth is? What Pilate didn't know is that Jesus had already answered that question back in John 17. Because in John 17, Jesus was on his knees praying to his Father. And he said, Father, thy word is truth. Jesus said it. The Word of God is truth. I read behind a man the other day, he said, we need to re-examine the Bible. Anybody who says that, I think they're the ones that need to be re-examined. The Bible is truth. You say, well, that's a little old school for me. Well, let me just tell you something. I love you and I hope you'll stay, but you're not going to like this church very much if you don't believe the Bible. Don't y'all leave me up here by myself. Let me give you three attacks that are coming against the Bible real quick. And this is under that second heading of truth. Three attacks. Number one is the frontal attack. I'm going to use military terms here. The frontal attack. And we talked about it last week, the liberals. And what the liberals want to do is they want to take away from the Bible or really just kind of deny it altogether. So watch out for the liberals. But then, ladies and gentlemen, there's, a there's an attack from the rear. And this attack from the rear can be just as dangerous as the attack from the liberals. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. The attack from the rear are those who want to place experiences above the Bible. They want to say, well, I ain't real sure what the Bible says about that, but let me tell you about my spiritual experience I had. Ooh. Nee, 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 nee. 
I'm all about spiritual experiences. I've had some of the greatest times in the presence of God. I think back on them sometimes. I'll be by myself and think back on times that I was praying and the glory of God came down. The power of God came down. And I'm like the old black preacher, he said, he said, sometimes I just feel like the angels are playing tic-tac-toe on my backbone. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it feels good, don't it? The Bible says when the woman was healed of her 12 years of suffering, the Bible says she felt it in her body. I'm not saying we don't serve a God that you can't feel and that you can't experience, but let me tell you something. We're human beings. And sometimes when we have an experience with God, we want to top it, and 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 we want to say, you know what, if I, didn't, if I don't have a better experience this week than I had last week, then I might be getting away from God. Listen, let me tell you how to know whether you're getting away from God or not. Are you getting away from the Bible? Don't let experience become more important to you than the Bible. I love the feeling I have of serving God. We can't let feeling and emotion and experience override the Scripture. Paul dealt with this in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 37 and 38. Paul was dealing with this in the Corinthian church. Some of them in the Corinthian church had kind of gone wild with tongues and prophecies and spiritual ecstasies and visions and all of that business. And so Paul stepped in. And this is the pastor's role, is to step in and bring balance back into a church. Amen? Are y'all with me out there? And Paul had to deal with that. And Paul says, if anyone thinks and claims that he is a prophet or has any other spiritual endowment, Paul said, let him first of all understand that what I am writing to you is the Word of God. Paul said, take all of your experiences that you've had and measure them against the Word of God. And if the experiences you're having are outside the Word of God, then you are in error, Paul said. It's not, it's not popular preaching. But it's some preaching that needs to be done. Then Paul says something that you probably are not going to understand. But I'll help you in just a minute. Paul said, but if anyone disregards or does not recognize, then he is disregarded and not recognized. So what they were saying was, brother Paul, let me tell you, you. You go on and do your little preacher man stuff you got to do. But let me tell you about an experience I had. And let me tell you what a great spiritual man I am. And, and, and Paul, I want to tell you, I've got this gift, and I've got this gift, and I've got this gift. And one of the things that I see a lot of times in churches is that people want to take their gift and they want to uh, exalt themselves above others that maybe has that other person has a gift that's behind the scenes. Their gift is kind of up front. You better be careful. You better be careful. Y'all hear me out there? And Paul comes in and says, listen. Paul says, I want to tell you something. Your experiences have to be measured by the word of God. And then Paul said, in that verse that was hard to understand, where he said, if anyone disregards or does not recognize, he's disregarded and not recognized. Here's what Paul actually meant by that. Paul actually shrugged, was shrugging his shoulders there and going, if you want to be ignorant, just be ignorant about it. Paul goes, I'm going to, listen, here's what Paul was doing. 
Paul was saying, I'm going to preach this and I'm going to say it about one more time. But Paul said, I am not going to keep harping on this over and over and over again. We've got to win the loss. We've got to win our community. Paul said, if you want to remain ignorant about that, then just go ahead and remain ignorant. That's pretty strong, isn't it? If Paul was our pastor today, we might want to vote on him. But there are people who want to bring the Bible under their experiences. So there's a frontal attack on the Bible, there's a rear attack on the Bible, and then there's a flank from the side, and this is those people that don't necessarily deny the Bible, they just want to kind of replace it or prop it up with some psychology and philosophy and science and all that other kind of business, as if the Bible can't stand alone on its own, it's got to have some help. The Bible doesn't need any help. The Bible's fine all by itself, and the people said, so it's timeless and it's true. How do we know it's true? We talked about it last week because the Bible is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God. The word inspiration is used one time in the Bible. The word inspiration is used how many times? One time in the Bible. And it means God-breathed. It is theonoustos. Theo means God. Noustos means the breath of. The Bible is, if you have your Bible, will you hold that up this morning? Just hold it up high. Come on. Hold it up high. Listen, what you hold in your hand is the breath of God. It is the breath of God. Listen, that book will breathe breath back into your marriage. It will breathe breath back into your emotion and your mind. It will breathe breath back into your lifeless spiritual body. If you will take it in, if you will hold it to your bosom, if you will make it precious in your life, that book will bring life back to you. It is the breath of God. It is the breath of God. Matthew 4 and 4, man lives by every word that oh, proceeds out of the mouth of God. I had to shake a leg right there. Just get that. Jesus talking about the Bible when he said that. You say, what about the Old Testament? 3,308 times in the Bible, in the Old Testament alone, it says, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, 3,308 times. If the Bible is not the Word of God, it is the biggest bundle of lies that has ever been perpetrated on mankind. I tell you this morning, I'm preaching a little old-fashioned today, but I tell you, I get excited when I talk about the Word of the living God. And when I look at my nation and I look at my world and I see the trouble we are in, ladies and gentlemen, we need to get back to the Word of God. Back into the Bible. Is anybody with me out there? You probably brought a guest with you today and you're looking at him going, he ain't always like this, I'm telling you. <clears throat> what are the qualities of the Word of God? It's timeless, it's truthful. Let me just close with this. It's a treasure. It's a treasure. Verse 72, the law of your mouth, I'm sorry, the law of your mouth 
is better to me than ten thousands of coins, than thousands of coins of gold and silver. If somebody told you, I'll give you a million dollars or the word of God, but you can't have both, which is more precious to you? Which is more precious to you? Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I'm asking you a question this morning. How do you feel about the Bible? How do you feel about the Word of God? It is to be a treasure to you. It's Valentine's Day. Some of you men would be in a lot better shape in your marriage if you treasured your wife. If you saw her as precious. We would be better Christians today if we could say to God about His Bible, How sweet are your words to my mouth. Verse 127. I love your commandments. Don't you want to be at a place in your life spiritually where when somebody's up preaching the commandments of God instead of recoiling, instead of saying, oh, that's hard, instead say, I love your commandments. Bring it, preacher. I love the Word of God. Instead of getting up and walking out, or what I have happen up here occasionally, somebody wants to come up after service and argue with me about my preaching. I'm too old. You argue with some of these young preachers. Don't come up here arguing with me. Turn you over to my bodyguards. Psalm 119, 127. I love your commandments. I love, I love your word, Jesus. I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, fine gold. Somebody wrote, the saints and the heroes of old have pillowed their head on the word of God as they walk through the chilly waters of the river of death. You all understand this morning that people are dying for the truth. I mean, we get up on Sunday, you know, and there's a little half inch of snow on the grass. It's not even on the roads. And we go, I just stay home today. It's just so rough. I'll be going to Walmart a little later. Aren't y'all glad you're here this morning? <laughs> we can just rag on that bunch that's not here. People are dying. One, one writer wrote, the martyrs who died for the witness of Jesus Christ held the Bible to their bosom as the creeping flames would come upon their feet. They were burned at the stake. 
They would cry out and say, if you will deny that Bible you hold, if you will deny the Jesus of that Bible you hold, then we will not burn you at the stake. They hold it and look up and say, your words are honey to my taste. And they died. The early church loved the Word of God. The book of Acts, after they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they never questioned it. They argued very little about it. You say, well, preacher, what did the early church do with the Bible? I'll tell you what they did with it. They preached it. They proclaimed it. They practiced it. They pronounced it. They poured it forth like hot lava. Here's what they did with the Bible back in the early church. They loved it. And they lived it, and they trusted it, and they obeyed it, and they claimed it for their own life. You know why the Bible's so precious? Here's why. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells. Here's why the Bible's so precious. You wouldn't know about Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible. You wouldn't know about a Savior who loves you. You wouldn't know about a Savior who died on the cross for you. You wouldn't know how he rose from the dead. You wouldn't understand any of that. You wouldn't know any of that. And you would die lost if it wasn't for the Bible. The Bible is precious. It's precious. The Word of God should be a treasure to you. A treasure. If the city of Goldsboro called you or the Wayne County or wherever you live, if they called you and said, uh, Mr. Smith or Mr. Hardison or whoever you are, we have discovered there is a gold brick buried somewhere in your backyard. Now, I know y'all acting all civil right now, but you tear that, you tear it up. <laughs> You'd say, I don't care what neighborhood I live in or what the rules are, get me a backhoe. I would. I'd find that gold brick we've got right in our lap. Something that is not hidden from us. That is worth far more than gold. If the Word of God is not precious in your life, I beg you today to get with God where you need to be so that your Bible will become important to you. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray that you give the people who attend Whitley Church and the bridge and Christians everywhere. Y'all with me out there, church? Give us a passion for your word. Now, when I get home today, God, I'm going to be hungry. And my wife's going to have a baked chicken and the house is going to smell so good when I walk in the door. And I'm going to be ready to eat, God. And I pray that that same hunger times 1,000 would be created in me for your word. Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know him? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? You say, no, preacher, but I want to. Can I do it this morning? Yes, you can. Just say right now, dear Lord, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. Come into my heart.
Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, right now. I accept you. I accept you as my Savior. I've been running from you, Jesus. I've been making excuses, but not today. I've heard this sermon. I heard the choir sing how that you are seated in the heavens. I, I worship God and, and sung about how there's healing in your hands, Lord. I, I, I've just seen and heard your word, and God, I don't want to run from you anymore. I need you in my life. Come in my life, Jesus. If you'll say that to him. He will come in right now. You will be born again. You will be adopted into the family. Just say to him, Lord, adopt me in your family. I want to be adopted into your family today. You died for me and rose from the dead for me. And I want to be adopted in your family right now. Just say it. Just whisper it. Just say it in your heart. I receive you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to come up and speak to me after the service. We're so glad you came today. Thank God for his word. There are going to be some prayer ministers up here right now, and we're going to dismiss you. And if you'd like to come and have prayer, you may do so. Those of you who are our guests, make sure you pick up a gift bag before you leave today. Right back here. Right